Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. Well, happy Father's Day to, uh, to all of our fathers. Um, this, uh, we just want to wish you a very happy Father's Day, uh, not just to our natural fathers, but also to those who are spiritual fathers as well, and especially to our Heavenly Father. And we are all the siblings of the same Father. Amen? So anyway, uh, just a couple announcements before we get started. Uh, we invite you to come tonight to our Bible study uh, on uh, Better Way to Pray. That's actually become our most popular event that we have going on right now. Uh, our Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. And then also, too, I just want to announce for the summer until September 4th, which will be the first week of September, we're going to be taking a break here for our Elio's discipleship program. Uh, so anyway, we're just going to take a break. Alright, so I kind of summer recess, and we will resume it uh, coming to September. So uh, you'll hear more about that as we go forward. Also, too, I just want to mention as we get into our study this morning, I've been starting, I don't know if I'll do this with every series that I teach, but I've been starting to write blogs, especially on this series that I've been writing on uh, Seeing Jesus in the Revelation. So I encourage you, because uh, I'm trying to have a point that I, I really want to convey, but if I'm not, I do try to write a book, uh, try to keep as concise as possible, but I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a pastor teacher, so that's my gifting. And so uh, that's how I operate. And so anyway, uh, I do have a blog uh, on our website, uh, and I've actually written several this week. I think that's like a little more than usual for me, but anyway, have blogs on this series, uh, so just go to our website. And speaking of web website too, and even live streaming, we are uh, looking to get uh, some better equipment for audiovisual, and uh, even uh, for other reasons too, for a bigger impact. Uh, we're just about $2,500 short of reaching our goal to get that equipment. So anyway, just FYI, that's where we're at, and once we get that, we will uh, we'll take it just to a new level. So anyway, uh, with all that said, uh, God bless you. Again, happy Father's Day. And we're just going to go ahead and jump right into our message this morning. So as I mentioned, or as we've been talking about, we've been talking about seeing Jesus in the Revelation. And as I've said in, in weeks past, I've never taught on this book before. And I wanted to focus on Jesus. I wanted to focus on the finished work of Jesus. Uh, I want people to embrace his first coming so that they will be ready for his second coming. And uh, I want people to experience eternal life. Eternal life is not going to heaven. Eternal life, <coughs> although that's one of the benefits of eternal life, but it is an awesome benefit. Don't, don't, don't think that I'm trying to water that down. By no means am I. But at the same point in time, uh, eternal life is having a relationship with Jesus. It's having a relationship with God. Uh, as Jesus says in John 17, verse 3. But I've also felt because uh, the times that we're living in, and not just because of time, but that, that enhances it all the more, that I feel as a pastor, I need to teach on this book. I need to, to teach what I believe is a biblical New Testament perspective of the book of Revelation. And as I've been saying, and I will continue to say 
throughout this teaching is that this is not a book about the doom and gloom. It is not a book about the destruction and death. This is not a book about all the woes. This is not about a book about the wrath and anger of God. This is not a book about the Antichrist or the tribulation or the dragon, which is Satan. This is not a this is not a book of hidden meanings. It's the revelation of Jesus. To a revelation to, is to reveal, to open up clearly, to unveil, to to show openly and to make plain. And it's, again, it's not a, a revelation. a revelation of the end time events. It includes talking about those things, and those things will happen. But it's a revelation about a person, and his name is Jesus. And I want, and and we need to see Jesus, and we need to have a relationship with Jesus on any day, on our best day. And end time events are not end time events. Then tribulation, we need to focus on Jesus. And also all the more, with the end time events happening, with the things that will happen on earth that the book of Revelation talks about, Jesus must be our focus. Jesus, we must have a relationship with Jesus. See, when you understand who Jesus is, and when Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus will change your life. No matter what is going on in the earth. No matter what is going on in the country. No matter what is going on in society, in our culture, no matter what is going on in the economic system and whatnot, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. And we've been talking at length, I've been spending more time on the first chapter than I will on the rest of the book. <clears throat> but what we, and we've been talking, highlighting five aspects of, of who Jesus is. These are not the only aspects, and these are not the only aspects in this book. But there have been five aspects that we're, we're highlighting. And one of those is that Jesus is the living word. We need to have a relationship with Jesus. We need to have a relationship with Jesus, the word of God. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, the word of God, you will, he will lead you to a relationship with his written word. Jesus is the grace of God. Jesus, this book should not be about doom and gloom. This book should produce grace and peace. In your life. Why? Because it reveals Jesus. And Jesus is the grace of God. Jesus is the savior of the world. And that's one of the main concepts I see in even in chapter 1 here. Jesus is our savior. We're going to be looking at the letters to the seven churches today. And we're going to see that Jesus is also our Lord. In the, in the, in the end of the book. When I say the end from chapters 4 to 22. We're going to see that Jesus is our king. Jesus is our savior, he's our lord, and he is our king. Um, Jesus, Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus went to the cross, he, and he's called us unto salvation, as the King James would say. Jesus has forgiven us. Jesus has raised us up into newness of life. We've also looked at last week that Jesus is the eternal God. And the eternal God has offered us eternal life. That is profound. That is marvelous. That our eternal God has offered us eternal life. And Jesus is our resurrected King of eternity. We didn't get a chance to really look at that this last week. We ran out of time. But, G but really everything I've been describing and everything that we will talk about in the rest of the book, we're going to see that Jesus 
is the resurrected king of eternity. I don't have a lot to say on that, and just specifically because really I see that as the scope of the entire book, that Jesus is our resurrected king of eternity. So we'll be looking at that as we go forward, but I do want to highlight a few things as we, as we do that, as we tap into uh, what I want to call the second section of this book, which is chapters 2 and 3, Jesus' letters to the churches. But as I do that, as I transition into that direction this morning, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Revelation 1 verse 12. And it says, And then I, John, turned to see the the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. And his feet were like the fine grass, and the refined in the furnace. And his voice had the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Verse 18. I am he who lives, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now, again, I'm using this as transition into talking about these letters to the seven churches. But in transition, I'm also trying to transition and highlighting real quickly that Jesus is our resurrected king of eternity. Let me just say this. Jesus said in John chapter 11, for time's sake, you don't need to turn there. In John chapter 11, you had the scene of, of Lazarus. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus told those who were listening, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes on me, although he were dead, shall live, and he shall not die. Jesus is the resurrected one. We, you'll see throughout history that there have been people who have raised from the dead. And we'll see later in our study that, uh, that there, any, of us, any of us who are in Christ have been raised into newness of life. Many people have received this eternal life. Many people have received salvation. But only one person can be called the resurrection and the life. And that is Jesus. Jesus says, I, I, I lay my life down. I lay it down and I take it up again. This is, God has given Jesus that command and that authority to lay his life down and to raise it up. When John chapter 14 John 14, 
uh, just before Jesus goes to the cross. And he's saying some last words to the disciples before he goes to the cross. And in that, in that because of the second time, I don't want to spend time turning there. But in John 14, 1 through 6, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. Actually, before that, he says, in my Father's house, there are, key word, there are many mansions. I go prepare a place for you. If it were not so, <clears throat> in other words, Jesus said, this is true, this is so. Many people have thought that Jesus is going to go build some mansions. No, he says, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. They're already there. They're already exist. They're pre-made just for you. But where's the question? How does Jesus prepare a place for us? Jesus prepares a place for us by going to the cross. This is pre-cross. Jesus is saying these words before he's going to the cross. How does Jesus prepare a place for us? He prepares a place for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus prepares a place for us by his blood. Because in context in verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Except through me. Jesus is our resurrected king of our Thor of eternity. And the proof that that we that his blood was acceptable so that we can that, that we can have a life through Jesus Christ is that Jesus rose from the dead. And because he lives, we live. Amen? That's the cornerstone of our teaching. That's the cornerstone of Christianity. That Jesus died and rose again. And because he lived, we live. Because we receive Jesus, our Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, the eternal God, the grace of God, as our propitiation. And because we receive Jesus, the eternal God has given us eternal life. Amen? In verse 18 here in, in Revelation 1, Says, Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Jesus says amen. Notice that. That's very important. Jesus says amen to what he just said. Jesus says amen. The word amen means so be it. I saw it that many times. But it also means this is trustworthy. You can trust this. It's established. It's like the judge, I've illustrated this many times, it's like a judge putting the gavel down. So be it. So ordered. It is true. It is official. It, Jesus said, Amen. I am he who lives. Behold, I was dead, but I am. Not will be, not could be, not should be. I am alive forevermore. Amen. And because he lives, we live. Jesus is the resurrected king of eternity. He also says, I have the keys. I have the keys of Hades, which is hell, and of death. Jesus has the keys. Someone who has the keys has control. Someone who has the keys has authority. And Jesus has keys. He has authority over heaven, over earth. And Jesus has authority over hell. Jesus has authority over death. Because Jesus conquered death. That's powerful. 
I don't have time to go to all that detail right now. I'm going to be following our teachings for any length of time. I've taught many times how Jesus has conquered death. But moving forward, verse 19, and we, 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 we referred to verse 19 many times in this study because this verse really illustrates three, uh, what this really helps us understand this book. But then Jesus says, write the things. He tells John, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. We've been talking at length the last three weeks, including this week. The things which John saw. What did John see? John saw Jesus. John saw Jesus as the living word. John saw Jesus as the grace of God. John saw Jesus as the Savior of the world. John saw Jesus as the eternal God. John saw Jesus as the resurrected King of eternity. Now we're going to be talking about what the things that are. And we're going to, in, in context here, we're looking at Jesus is Lord of the church. Jesus is Lord of the church. And that's going to be one of the main things that we're going to see here, that Jesus is Lord of the church. And in that, Jesus has a message for the church. Jesus has, you're going to see, we're going to look at seven letters, or seven uh, messages that Jesus has to the church. And these are seven actual churches that were in Asia. By now, they're, we know that as Turkey. But there's seven churches that were in Asia. The, when John wrote this book, when he says the things that are, these are seven churches that were at this time, but they are seven churches that were in Asia. We can also look at these seven churches as these are seven conditions of the church. We're going to look at that uh, in, 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 a little, in, in some detail as we go forward. Okay? There's some other... Uh, views on 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 um, on the seven churches. Some people think that and, and uh, have taught that uh, it teaches on the church in a chronological sense, uh, meaning that there's uh, um, there's some symbolic of seven periods throughout church history. I was reading Andrew's commentary on this, and Andrew says I am hesitant to do do so. They so look at this from in a in a chronological are symbolic sense. Because Andrew says, I think when things in Scripture are symbolic, it is obvious they are symbolic in Scripture. So Andrew's not saying this, discounting this, but he is hesitant to, to embrace that and to, to teach it from that perspective. So I'm going to, like Andrew, I'm not going to discount that as a, as, a, as a perspective. But at the same point in time, I'm going to focus on Jesus has seven, has a message to the church. Jesus has something, he's going to reveal himself to the church. And uh, um, probably not, I'm making sense with that. In other words, as we go through these, the, these letters to the seven churches, we're going to see that Jesus reveals himself to each church in a different way. I mean, you know, we've already looked at five aspects of Jesus. And to each church, Jesus is going to reveal himself to seven churches. What's the, what's the title of this book? The Revelation of Jesus. Jesus is going to reveal himself to these seven churches in a different way. In other words, Jesus is the answer to every church, to every person, 
whatever we need. Jesus is the answer to us and to every church, no matter what condition we are in. We're going to see seven conditions of the church. There are seven conditions that can be in every church. And Jesus, no matter what condition you are in, no matter what condition your ch local church is in, Jesus is the answer. And one of my beautiful illustrations of this, when we get to it, which will be the last church we look at, Jesus reveals himself to the church in its worst condition. The church of Laodicea. And that's beautiful. That's going to be very profound. Because some people are about, how can Jesus reveal himself to a church in its worst condition? Well, we're going to see that. We're going to see his grace. We're going to see his mercy. We're going to see Jesus revealing himself to every church. Let me also say this. To every church, Jesus gives a promise. He gives a promise to every church. He offers grace to every church. Even the church in its worst condition. The church of Laodicea. Jesus is the grace of God, as we've already talked. Jesus has a message of grace to every church. That, are, you, are you getting that? Because that's one main, main thing I'm going to be bringing out as we go through these, the, uh, this section of the book of Revelation. Let me say this too. We have to have the right lens on when we, we, when we read how Jesus reveals himself in this book. Again, I've said this before and I've said this again many times. This is not a book and these are not messages of doom and gloom. This is a message revealing Jesus. Church, we have been so conditioned religiously and also culturally. We have been so conditioned to always see what is wrong in every, every situation, every church, sometimes in every person. We have been so conditioned by society and by religion to always see what is wrong instead of seeing what is right. We need to change our focus to see what is right instead of seeing what is wrong. That is important. That is very important in life. That is very important no matter, no matter what church you go to. Some people will always come to you and say, this is wrong with this church, this is wrong with this church, this is wrong with this church. But they will never tell you what is right with that church. Again, we have been so conditioned to always seeing performance, man's performance, instead of seeing God's grace. That's why, again, in this book, my heart and my theme and my focus and my teaching is going to be focused on revealing Jesus. That makes sense? Okay, hopefully it does. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Okay? Jesus has a message for the church. Jesus has a message for these seven churches. And I believe that Jesus still has a message for the church. Okay? To these churches we're going to see 
that Jesus will say, he will show them some things that they have right. And in some cases, he will show them some challenges they have. Okay? In other words, two of the seven churches we're going to look at, Jesus makes no rebuke. That's the church of Smyrna. Smyrna, excuse me. Which is also known as a persecuted church. We'll look at that. And also the church of Philadelphia, which is also called a missionary church. Or the church of brotherly love. Okay? But five of the seven churches, we're going to see that Jesus chases. And Jesus has a rebuke. In other words, he encourages them to go into the right direction. But I have to say this, because anytime we talk about chastening, anytime we talk about reproving and rebuking in the New Testament, most people see that as anger. Most people see that as wrath. And most people, all, all they see is what is wrong. Chastening, according to scripture, chastening, when God chastens his people, when God chastens his children, when God chastens his church, it is not an act of anger, it is an act of mercy. That is very important. Because if you don't understand that, you're going to be very confused when you read scripture. And especially these letters. When God chastens, he is not chastening because he is angry. He is chastening because he loves. It is an act of mercy. It is an act of grace. It is an act of love. Because God is love. Love never fails. If you understand Jesus... If you understand mercy, it will change how you respond to his chastening. It will, it will change how you respond to him, period. When he corrects, when he reproves, when he chastens, he, he chastens you because he loves you. We read this in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, which Hebrews is actually quoting from Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon writes, he says, Let mercy, Don't forsake mercy. Bind it around your neck. And in verse 12 of Proverbs chapter 3, and the, and, and the writer of Hebrews quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, he says, he says that God chastens the ones that he loves. Fast forward to me real quick here to Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. I get a little ahead of myself. But even the church in its worst condition, Jesus says this, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. The word repent means to change your mind. Change the way you're thinking. If you change the way your mind and you change the way you're thinking, you will change the way you live. You will change your behavior. If you don't change the root, you won't change the fruit. If all we're doing is fruit picking, we're never going to see change. You ever pulled a bunch of dandelions out of the ground without pulling out the roots? You just multiply the problem. You just put fuel on the problem. You just, you just, you just did seed time and harvest. You just planted more dandelions. You just made it stronger. No, we have to change the root if we're going to change the fruit. 
Jesus chastens the ones he loves. It says this in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. That all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training, or instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't know about you. Because I know I am a child of God, because I know I am a son of God, I embrace the mercy and chasing of my God. We're celebrating Father's Day today. And my Father will chasten me because He loves me. Any good parent will chasten the child they love. Any good pastor will chasten the church he or she loves. Dwayne Sheriff talks about and his teaching on and maturity and also immaturity. He talks about how there's some things that he would love he would love to 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 share with his church. And some of the things might sound tough because but he loves the church and he wants to share those things. But he can't share those things because the church is immature. And I say his church, but some things he just can't tell people because they're immaturity. Immaturity. Someone who's immature in the Lord. Someone who's immature. And even just that word, people get offended. They've been offended at, at his church. They've been offended at other people's church when you talk, call them immature. It just doesn't go over well. And, and, and I don't want to get so caught up on this, but Jesus chastens those he loves. He, he loves them to tell them the truth when something is wrong, when something needs to be reproved and corrected so that it can go in the right direction, so that they can mature and blossom and be fruitful. Hopefully you understand that because that is very key to understanding Jesus in this book. Okay? So as we go forward, let's go ahead and let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 2. And we'll start with verse 1 and we're going to start looking at these seven churches. Okay, the first church is the church of Ephesus. So uh, Revelation 2 verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, <clears throat> These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. And have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have. You hate the deeds and the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to he of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Ephesus is called the loveless church, or the church that has left their first love. Jesus reveals to himself to this church who has left their first love. Now notice this, i got to emphasize this. They didn't you know, lose their first love like someone might lose their keys. They, they left his first love. Also notice this, Jesus did not leave them. Jesus is walking in their midst. 
It says there in verse, uh, I think, one, one or two, uh, excuse me, Jesus is walking in the midst of them. He's walking. He hasn't left. They left him. It's just like Adam. At, God never hid himself from Adam. Adam hid himself from God. Okay? But Jesus, Jesus is still there. Jesus is still revealing himself to them as he's walking in their midst. Okay? Jesus is Lord of his church. And Jesus has a message for his church. Even a loveless church. I don't know about you, but I've been to a few loveless churches. I've been, we've been, we were we went to a church once. The church was dying of cancer. The, the church was hurting, to be honest with you. And we, we understood that. We felt their pain. We had compassion for them. We stayed there for a while. Although we didn't like it too well. And it was a situation when Sharon and I weren't doing so well economically. And we, we just, it was a church local. And, and we, we, knew, we knew the pastor and, and the family to a certain extent. But they, because they were hurting, they were very loveless. They wouldn't let you in. I'm not just talking about letting, wouldn't let you in the front door. They just wouldn't let you into their hearts and their lives. And I'm not saying we're going to be buddy-buddy with everybody, but they just, they had a guard up because they were hurting. And they, they didn't mean to come across this way, I don't believe. I don't believe that was their motive. But they came across as loveless. They came across as, and so and there was a coldness. And I don't think they meant to be that way. I don't think they even saw themselves as that way. But they, they, they did betray themselves that way to us. No matter, but no matter where we find ourselves in, even in a loveless state, and there could be reasons why we feel loveless. There have been times when things have happened to Sherry and I, and because things have happened, we find ourselves having a hard time to trust people. We get that. We understand there could be reasons for that. But God didn't leave them. They left God in the sense of love. Okay? But Jesus is still Lord of his church, and he still has a message for his church, even in a loveless state. A couple other things here, too. Uh, first of all, verse 5, he says, remember where you come from. We need to remember, you know, there have been times where Sherry and I, because of different things that have happened, or are happening, we have to be reminded who we come from. I was meeting with some pastors yesterday, and one of the, the, the pastors wrote a book on uh, God's amazing marriage. And one of the things, that he, one of the chapters in his book is about we need, even in our marriages, we need to have a vision. Because sometimes things don't always go well. And it's always good to come back to why we're here. Having, without a vision, the people perish, the scripture says. And we need a, you need a vision for your church. You need a vision for your business. You need a vision for your marriage. You need a vision. And we love because he first loved us. And we need to remember his love for us. We need to, there are times where I'm struggling, different things are going on. And I need to come back to his first love. I need to remember why I'm here. I, I'm here because of his, he's my, of his grace. I'm here because of his salvation. I'm here because of the love of God. I need to return back to that place. I need to remember, I need to come to his table of remembrance. Even in the midst of my enemies. In verses 2 and 4, this pastor is being was praised and commended for not tolerating those who are doing evil. This was a good thing. 
Many pastors and Christians today would think this pastor was not compassionate because in our political correct world, it's, it's not correct to be against anything these days. You know, anytime Sherry and I stand up for something we, we disagree with, that we think is immoral and ethical, we get backlash. We get, we get attacked. And, 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 uh, but, and I'm using us as an illustration, but I, um, I've seen this with others. But we are to hate evil. It says in Proverbs 8.13 that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We talked about that in the previous teaching series that we've had. We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. He also told us, this, this, this pastor, that he hated the, 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 the not, uh, let me just say something here. It's a good thing that he, that, that this pastor and this church had tried to, to, to hate evil. And he even says that uh, it, it's a good thing that he had tried to, those who claimed to be apostles and found them to be false. We don't just accept a person as an apostle or pastor without being proven in their life. I'm not going to go. Some of these things I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with. But let me just say this: they hated the work of the Nicolaitans. Who are the Nicolaitans? Well, first of all, many scholars believe that they were the sect was named after Nicholas and one of the seven deacons appointed by the church for the administration of the widows in Acts six five. But more importantly, these Nicolaitans, and you'll see this in one of the other churches that we're going to read. They had taken the principle of grace to an extreme. In other words, they allowed all types of immorality as Christian liberty. In other words, the, the, their motto was, whatever will be, will be. It's not a problem. It doesn't matter. Do whatever you want to do. And I, we, we have seen this in the church. It's ugly. There is a lot of, a lot of this going on today in the church. Under the, 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 the term of extreme grace. And not everyone who calls into extreme grace embraces this. But there are those who, who have, will, will, under grace, will say you can do whatever you want to do. We have known pastors who encourage immorality, pornography, and other things under grace. It's ugly. It's evil. It's wrong. It's compromise. We're not for that. The Bible says in Titus 2.12 that the grace of God will teach you to deny ungodliness. It's wrong. But, but Jesus was praising, commending this church for hating the work of the Nicolaitans. They had lost their first love. They left, they left it. Excuse me. They didn't lose it like people lose keys. <coughs> they left their first love. But they also had... They still stood their ground with morality. They still held their ground with things of, of ethics and, and morality. Okay? Yes, if you are living from the Spirit. Let me just say this. If you're living from the Spirit, you can do whatever you want to do. Because to walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if you're walking in the flesh, it is not good. It is not right. For you to just live any way you want to. Your flesh will lead you in the wrong direction. But let me say this. And that's why I spent so much time and talking about Jesus is the living word. Jesus is the grace of God. Because through our relationship with Jesus, we will learn some things are right 
and some things are wrong. There are some things we do not want to participate in. There's some things we do not want to be involved in. And as we have a relationship with God, and I say this because in these last days, Paul talks about this, Jesus talks about this, and that we've already seen in our world today, in these last days, there will be all kinds of immorality and wickedness and evil deeds and compromise that we can be tempted to. And there will be those who will teach, like they did here, that is okay under grace. And if we do not have a relationship with God, and we don't have a relationship with His Word, we can be tempted to go down a road that will ruin our lives and will ruin our testimony. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And Jesus, God, His Word commands us to do that. But verse 7, I love verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That is awesome. That is profound. Like I said, in every church, Jesus gives a promise. Jesus promises redemption full circle. We'll talk about this later when we get later in our study. But the Bible begins in the paradise at the river of God, at the tree of life. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. Or excuse me, Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 16. And, and just as the Bible begins in the paradise of God, at the river of God, in the tree of life. The Bible ends in paradise, at the river of God, in the tree of life, in Revelation 22, 1-3. And if you read Revelation 22, verses, verse 3, and we're going to get there eventually, not today, but you will read that one of the best things about paradise, at the river of God, the tree of life, there will be no more curse. We've already taught and we will continue to teach paradise, our eternal life is a relationship with God. And those who are overcome by the word of their testimony and by the blood of Jesus Christ, he said, I will give to eat of the tree of life. Church, we are going back to the throne of God. We are going back the river of God. We are going back to the tree of life. We are going redemption because of what Jesus did as the, the grace of God, as the Savior of the world, as our resurrected King of eternity. We are going back full circle to the redemption Jesus has provided us. God is going to provide to us everything Adam lost to the fall. It's complete redemption. And if we understand that, it's a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous thing. We need to return back to God's love. Not just so we can come from this world in these last days. So that we can embrace everything God has for us in this redemption. Some people have, there's a lot of different reasons why people have left their first love. One of the things I was just going to mention is because they don't understand God's chastening. They don't understand God's correction. Some people have lost their first love because they have opened the door through wickedness. And they 
where there's envy and strife, there is every evil work. And so many people have opened the door because they have not. They have they have embraced the teachings of the Nicolaitans. They have teach extreme grace to the extent that they can do anything they want to under grace. We cannot. It is dangerous. It will destroy your life. The second church is the church of Smyrna. And we see that in Revelation verse 8. So Revelation 2 verse 8 says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews or not, but are, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The church of Smyrna. And again, this is one of the two churches that Jesus does not rebuke. He doesn't chasten. This is a, the church of Smyrna is also known as the persecuted church. Persecution. We don't understand that to its fullest extreme here in the West. That doesn't mean that days are not coming. But in some countries, in some cultures, it is very illegal to even have a Bible. In some cultures, it is very illegal to pronounce their faith, even to become baptized. In some cultures, you can go to prison. In some cultures, you can be martyred and killed for having expressing a relationship with God in any way, shape, or form. But to this persecuted church, Jesus reveals himself as the first and the last who was raised to the dead. He reveals himself as a resurrected king of eternity. See, the worst thing, and some of us might not sound comfortable, but the worst thing that anyone could ever do to you is kill you. See, if you're born again, meaning you're born twice, you die once. But if you're born once, not born again, you will die twice. We'll get into this as we get further in our study of the book of Revelation. But there is a second death called hell. Nobody can send you. You have to reject Christ. You have to reject Jesus. No one can take away your relationship with God. And because no one can take away your relationship with God, which is eternal life, no one can take away your eternal life. No one can take away your salvation. They may be able to kill you physically, but they cannot kill you eternally. That is an awesome promise. Because for all eternity, we're going to be with him face to face. See, that's why Jesus said in, in John chapter 3, we must be born again. He said, he told Nicodemus in uh, John 3, 6, what is born of flesh is flesh, 
and what is born of spirit is spirit. To receive eternal life, to receive salvation, is to and, and to enter into God's kingdom, we must be born again. But if we are born again, we will not see the second death. If we are born again, we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. That is an awesome promise. Okay? And again, this is Jesus' message to the persecuted church. I'm not talking about you you're going through tribulation because of some mistakes you have made, as we talked about in the last church. Some churches, because they're compromising, as we're going to see in the next church, it's called the compromising church. Some people have brought tribulation on themselves. I'm not talking about that type of tribulation. And, and there we'll, get, we'll get there in just a minute. But those who are being persecuted for his name's sake, Jesus promises eternal life. That is our blessed hope. And actually, most people who are being persecuted for their faith, their focus is so much on Jesus. The persecution. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying, hopefully I'm going to my message. But their focus is on Jesus. Their source is Jesus. I'm not saying that God can't intervene. He's never promised us redemption from persecution. But we've heard stories through the years, various supernatural stories, where God has intervened. And miraculously saved their life. I mean, we see those scripture. They tried to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They tried to kill Daniel. They tried to boil John, who's writing his book. They couldn't kill him. But there are times when people have been persecuted, and they have been martyred. But how many of you know, when we die, we go be with the Lord. And it's a celebration. Not the fact that they killed us. Not that type of evil. But we are celebrating a life that is living, eternal with God. We win. Whether we live, we win. Whether we die, we win. Amen? That, that has to be our hope. Because we're talking, I'm talking about seeing Jesus and seeing Jesus in the, in the end time. Because there are things that won't happen in the earth. There are some things that are going to happen in these last days. And we must have our focus on Jesus. Persecution will come. And persecution will arise. Again, this is not a message of doom and gloom. This is a message of grace and peace. And our peace is because we have eternal life in Jesus. And if you don't have that as your focus, as Jesus said, many hearts will grow, will, 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 will turn to fear because of the things happening out there. We can't turn to fear. We keep our eye on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. The third church, the church of Pergamos. Pick that up, verse 12. Revelation 2, 12, it says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write these things. Right, these things says, he, he, he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's strong is. And you hold fast to through my name, and did not and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful father. Who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Because you have these, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balaam to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to, to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those 
who hold the doctrine of limit regulations, which things I hate. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And he who has an ear, let him hear. For the Spirit says in the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and I will stone a, few, a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. There's some very awesome things, powerful things being said here. But the church of Pergamos, is, is, in other words, is called the rural church. They're the compromising church. They need a kind of, in my, in my opinion, they're kind of running up to the church in its worst condition. They're a compromising church. But again, Jesus reveals himself to this church, and we're going to see a promise here as well. There's two, two things that in this worldly church that they're, they're very, very obvious. There's two things that this church is basically doing. They are embracing the doctrine of Balaam, and they are basing, embracing the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Whereas, I'll deal with the latter first, whereas the, the church of Ephesus hated the works of Nicolaitans, this church embraced it. They were a compromising church. They were... Uh, and, and it, goes, it goes along with the, the doctrine of Balaam. If you understand Balaam, and you can read the story in Numbers 25 and surrounding chapters, but Numbers, in, in the book of Numbers, Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel. And every time Balaam tried to do it, he ended up blessing him. <laughs> and he basically said, and, and this is just my words, that he can't curse what God has blessed. That's what, for those of us in Christ, that's a beautiful promise. I mean, we you know it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we are blessed and we are not cursed. We are above and not beneath. We, Satan, the world, cannot curse us. We are blessed because of Jesus. Not because of what we do. We are blessed because of Jesus. Okay? And the world cannot curse us. But here's the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam says, I can't curse them. But if you can cause these, the Israelites to stumble, specifically cause them to get into sexual immorality, I can't curse them. They will curse themselves. How many of you know when there's envy and strife, there is every evil work. When we play with sin, Jesus dealt with sin, but when we compromise the sin, and sin becomes a stumbling block to us, we open a door, an inroad to Satan. And when we comp and this goes hand in hand with the, 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 the doctrine of compromise, with the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And when we, in other words, let me just say this. There are some things we don't need to participate in or get involved in. I'll just be frank with you, and this, I'll use this as an example. In our home, and in this church, we don't embrace Halloween. Moss and Purdue feels the same way. We do not in no way, shape, or form. We don't even put it on our calendar. I make our own calendars for some things that we do. I don't even put it on there. We, have no, we will have nothing to do with Harry Potter or anything like that. We will have nothing to do with Pokemon. And these are just a few things. I won't have anything to do with some of this, what I believe is evil. Now, I know people like to dress up for Halloween and have fun and different things, and, and, uh, and, and I, 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 
from that perspective, I can embrace that and, 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 uh, and condone that type of thing. But in its origins, and its purpose, Halloween is evil. And we just don't want to associate with that. And I'm not, we're not going to give them, we're not going to let down on anyone who does participate in any of these things. But I, I will say this about Harry Potter and Pokemon and other things along those lines. I have heard reports and reports and reports of children and adults having nightmares and different things because of the demonic influence of these things. It's not good. It is open the door. And we won't participate in those things. There's some other things that we won't. Things on TV, things that we can go to. We just won't participate in those things. I can listen to different things. I'm not here. There's uh, that we just won't get involved with. See, when we have a relationship again with the Word of God, Jesus, His Word, His Scripture will guide us to what to do, what is right, and avoid doing what is wrong. We talked a lot about that when we talked about wisdom being the principal things. We are not going to do what the world says. We are different. We are going to embrace the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of men. Okay? Isaiah 15.30 talks about they will call evil good and good evil. And we see that. It's arising in our culture. It's arising in the church culture today. And it is wrong. We, we need to know the truth of God's word. We need to have a relationship with the truth. Jesus said in John 17, he actually prayed for us. He said, Lord, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. God's word, have a relationship with God. Again, that's why I, that's one of my main themes in this book. Now it's not only just seeing Jesus, but it's having a relationship with Jesus. When we have a relationship with Jesus, who is the truth, who is the word of God, we will be separate, we will separate ourselves from the world. <coughs> the word of God is where we get the answers. To truth versus error. The wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. Church, and we need to hear this, especially in the last days that we're talking about in this book, in seeing Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus, we need to be different than the world. We are holy because of the blood of Jesus. Act like it. Not in our own strength. Not out of performance. I'm not teaching performance. I'm teaching a relationship with Jesus. I'm Jesus teaching abiding in the vine. And I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who is alive in me. I want them to see my good works so that they may glorify Him, not me. I'm not trying to bring attention to me. I'm not trying to impress God, but I want the life of God. I want the holiness of God to live and reign in my life and in my mind and the things that I get involved with. The Word of God separates us from the word, world. Jesus, verses 12 and 16, let me just read that again, verse 12. That's your last word. 
These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. That's the word of God. Verse 16. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Sword. The word of God. Okay. In other words, I believe Jesus gives a promise to this church. No matter what situation you are in, Jesus offers a, and offers a his grace and a promise to every church. In other words, I believe Jesus is saying, have a relationship with me. Have a relationship with me, the word of God. And that surpasses anything that the world has to offer. He, we've been talking a lot in chapter 1 how Jesus is our Savior. But Jesus is our shepherd. He is the Lord of this church. He is not rebuking and chastising this church because he's angry. He's chastising them, rebuking their behavior because he loves them. Jesus wants a relationship. Jesus, when we're toying and when we're, we're compromising ourselves, then the world, and the world system, and the world's, the world is polluting our mind with things like Harry Potter and different things. What relationship do we have with Goliath? What relationship do we have with Satan? What relationship? We are filling those things. To be naturally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. We are separate. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Not out of performance, but by His grace. His grace will teach you to deny ungodliness. There's a part you play in that. He's, the Word of God, the grace of God is teaching you to do something. And that is to deny ungodliness. If you are not denying ungodliness, then you are not allowing the grace of God, extreme grace, if you will, from teaching you to live a godly life. Amen? Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not saying this to offend you. I'm not teaching these things to get mad at you. I'm teaching these things as a pastor because I love you. It's my job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ. These other things that people are getting involved in is not edifying, building up the body of Christ. It's destroying. And it's destroying its influence in the world. We're separate. We are the light and not dark. We are, we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are leading the world. We're not following them. That make sense? We are the church of the living God. The church of Thyatira. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, your patience, as for your works, last, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into, into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the, the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, 
who have not known the, the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received by my father. And I will give him the morning star, and he who has an ear left and hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Church of Dietaria is also known as the religious church. They're focused on their works. They're focused on their performance. They're legalistic in many ways. But they're the religious church. Jesus has a message for the religious church. Jesus reveals himself to the religious church as the Son of God. Turn with me real quick to 1 John chapter 4. Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. Scroll down with me to verse, chapter 5, verse 5. And who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We don't come, overcome the world by our performance. We overcome the world by believing that Jesus is the Son of God. When you put your faith in God's Son, He brings you into a relationship And whoever confesses Jesus as the Son of God, God lives in him. See, it's not because of your performance. Otherwise, you will want to perform more. And you can never perform enough. We need to have a relationship with Jesus. See, you didn't and you won't overcome by your works. You will overcome by your faith in Jesus. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Sin shall not have dominion over you because you are under grace, not under the law. See, I'm hoping this comes across right. So, and I, and I said this before already. But some people, when they go to every church, some churches, or sometimes every church, they always find out what is wrong. There's some things wrong with this church. Jesus is pointing those things out. But we can get so focused on what is wrong that we don't see what is right. This is another church that is embracing some things Jezebel immorality and whatnot. So again, some people just focus on what's wrong. And not, maybe they don't maybe they won't focus on a church what's wrong, but they'll look at certain people. Some Christians. Look what's wrong with them. And I'm not saying endorse there are some things wrong with people. And actually if you look for it, you'll find it. 
and also, and, I, and, I, and I'll just be honest, there's some people, because it's very honest, they're very vocal, they're not shy, they're not bashful, they're bold about it, there are also things wrong with some who claim, even those who claim themselves to be Christians. And there's a time and a place where that to be confronted and dealt with. But it always, even when you understand Matthew, we've done Matthew 18, people have liked it, not liked it, but even Matthew 18, it's not just Matthew 18, but it's also 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it's also in Luke chapter 17, it's other places in the scripture, it's not just Matthew 18, but when you look at these scriptures, it's always done in mercy, not in vengeance, not in a religious spirit. My heart and my attitude, I mean, a lot of this I'm hearing secondhand also from Lawson, Colossians exhort says, I exhort you, look for what's right in people. Look for Jesus. Okay? If you look for what is right, you will find it. If you look for what is wrong, you will find it too. You'll find that in every church. You'll find that in every person. Why? Because we, we have people here. You'll find, you'll find good and you'll find bad in every church. Why? Because you have people there. A church with no problems is a church with no people. And where you have sheep, you have manure. Okay? I'm not, I'm not the meat facetious. You know, you get sheep, and, and, but you, you, you're going to have manure. You have a farm, you have a barn, it's going to smell like wood. But we are here to clean the stalls. We are here to equip and edify the body of Christ. We are here to wash one another's feet. We are here to admonish one another in the Lord. We are here for all doctrine. All doctrine is, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training, and righteousness of so the man of God that be equipped by every good word. We're here to encourage one another. That also means we can be honest with one another. Brother, sister, this is not right. This is not good. I'm not saying this to offend you. I'm not saying this to hurt you. I did this because I love you. <coughs> Don't get your focus on this and that. Don't get your focus on religion. Don't get your focus on immorality. Don't get your focus on what's wrong. Get your focus on Jesus. The author and the finisher of your faith. You don't need this other junk. It's not about you and your performance. It's not about what you've done wrong. It's not about what you've done right. It's about Jesus. And we have a relationship with Jesus. We abide in the vine. We will produce good fruits, good works that will glorify him and edify his church. That makes sense? There's going to be manure. And I'm not trying to be gross. You don't have. If you have sheep without manure, you have sheep you're not feeding. They're dying. But you're gonna have it. You'll find it in every church. You'll find it in every home. You'll find it in every life. Okay. But I love the promise, verse 28. I lost my place here. I went to John. Go back and read it. Revelation chapter 2. Verse 28. And I will give him the morning star. 
Jesus is the morning star. Don't give me religion. Give me Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world. Jesus is the answer for the church. Jesus is our promise. Jesus is our answer. Jesus is our morning star. Jesus loves every church. Jesus has a message, a promise to every church. Look for what is right and you will find it. He actually said in verse 26, And he who overcomes, keeps my works, my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. God wants to make you. God's not trying to get you to walk in holiness so that you can glorify your good works. God is trying to walk, get you to walk in holiness so that he can use you. So he can be effective. Psalm 2, verse 9, real quick. That you shall break them with a rod of iron, and shall smash them to pieces like the promised vessel. Real quickly, I know I'm running out of time with the church of Sardis. Actually, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to stop here. I'm going to pick up next week here because I don't want to. I want to rush through this. Especially some things, especially when I get to the last church, I want to really emphasize some things. I really want to get into the next part of my teaching. But I want to stop here because I want to spend time on the last church, uh, the church in its worst condition. Um, because I want you to see God's grace. I want you to see God's mercy. I want you to see Jesus. That makes sense. Since I don't want to disappoint you by not finishing that. My goal was to finish today. Um, but are you hearing my heart in this message? I'm not going in detail with some of these churches on every single point. And I'm doing that on purpose. Uh, you know, because I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see the promise. I want you to see what's right. Yes, there's some things wrong. And I'm, I'm addressing them by reading over them. And in some areas I'm, I'm giving some attention to it. But I'm not going with a magnifying glass trying to find out what's wrong. I'm going with a magnified and magnified Jesus. That makes sense? In these last days, we're going to see a lot of things wrong. But we can go looking for what's right, or we can go looking for what's wrong. There's something that we need to not participate in. And we need to be warned, and we need to be rebuked, and ch chastened if, if we are, or whatnot. But we see chasing from the Lord as love. Chasing one another. Sometimes it will not be received. I get that. We've experienced that many times. It's not fun. They think we're mad at them. We think we're, we're being, uh, we're, we're reacting. There's been people we live with and people, we tried, we tried to sandwich it in every which way with mercy and love. And it had been, it wasn't received. It wasn't, our, we don't, just like a good parent it hurts the parent more than it hurts the child when they have to discipline. So when we have to discipline, it hurts us sometimes more than it hurts them. They didn't even 
So we don't apologize. We're loving them. We throw that in every sentence. But we, well, anyway, I don't want to focus on that. I want you to see Jesus. Jesus wants you to have a relationship with him. With every church, he is speaking. He, the fact that he's speaking, the fact that he has a message, he still has a relationship. There have been periods of time before Samuel, God wasn't speaking to his church. There was another time before Jesus came that God was not speaking to the world, Israel. They're called the silent years. God is speaking to his church. He's alive forevermore. He's speaking to, he has removed the barrier of sin through Jesus. He's speaking to He's speaking to his people. Amen? Amen? Well, we worship you. We glorify you. We magnify you. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen, amen. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.